I'm, I'm, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 20 through 23 today. The title of our sermon is Church Oneness or Church Unity. I am, I'm just so pumped to leave on this message because I just, I, I really want want us to be thinking about this for the, the next few weeks as it is absolutely such a crucial aspect of the church. And I've read this passage numerous of times. Uh, I, it's never struck me like it has this past week. And the importance of it in, in the life of Galilee Church. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to break it down. Jesus says this, I do not ask, or Jesus prays this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Guy tells a story about doing what was uh, started out as an innocuous Twitter survey, but then it blew up as a lot of church members and leaders were eager to share about all the fights, the schisms, and the conflicts in their congregations, as well as the absurdity of some of the issues that caused conflict, splits, and schisms. He picked out 25, I'm not going to mention 25 of them, but here, here are some of them. There was an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Not quite sure where you would go to settle that one, but maybe Leviticus might have an answer. There was a fight in a church over whether or not to build a playground or to use the land for for a cemetery. The guy said he was dying to know the answer to that one. There was a deacon who accused another deacon of writing a strange letter or something that offended him. And they didn't settle the matter by talking, they settled the matter out in the parking lot, just like high school. There was a church dispute over whether or not to install restroom dividers in the women's restroom. They were divided over that one. There was a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. That's correct. Whether brown or black, three, four, or five-drawer filing cabinet. There was a, a, a petition in the church that caused a disunity to have all the church staff clean-shaven. Pastor Kevin. There was a big church argument 
over the discovery that the church budget was off 10 cents, 10 cents, so someone finally just gave the dime to settle the issue. There was a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. There were arguments over what type of green beans should be served at the potluck. That's easy. None. There was also an argument in churches over the strength of the coffee. Folgers or Starbucks, and no kidding, people left the church because of it. There was a woman who was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup for the coffee, and it looked too much like liquor. Some church members left the church because one church member actually hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It was a clean split. I know, that's pretty bad. You know, I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I read the passage first. Because they, it's fun, they, they're, they're funny, they're absurd. But are they? Is it funny when we look at what Jesus just prayed for? We're fighting over coffee. Jesus prays that we may all be one. As a matter of fact, if we see the thrust of this passage, Jesus prays that our unity is a perfected priority. And we're fighting over coffee. How is that possible? And those issues are symptoms of a much, much more deeper problem and a more serious one. What we see in this passage is that Christian unity and oneness is an essential mark of the church. It is how we are recognized in this world that we belong to God and that we believe in Jesus Christ who was sent by the Father. It is an essential mark of the church. It is an already existing reality. You and I are united together in Christ, whether we like it or not. And the people that we are worshiping here with today, that are in Jesus Christ, you and I are going to be worshiping with when? For all eternity. What a wonderful, wonderful picture. It's a reality, however, it needs to become a priority so that we can work on it and live it out in this world. Jesus actually asks that it's perfected. Do you think it's perfected? given the examples we just read? We should be lamenting that. It's terrible. And when problems arise in a church, when conflicts arise in the church, it reveals where our hearts are, doesn't it? And if our hearts are united together and united to him, things like that aren't going to bother us, are they? Why? 
because you're more important than coffee, aren't you? Because Jesus Christ and our witness to him is more important than those things. We did the two events this year in Galilee for a reason, and I'm, I'm really glad that we did. We decided to do some potlucks, and we decided to do prayer nights, but I'll tell you what, that's not going to unify us. Those events are not going to unify us. Do you know what is? Living out passages like this at those events, that's what's going to unify us. We are all united in Jesus Christ. Supernaturally, it's an existing reality, but it is something that we need to strive for and work out and make it a priority in this church. That's why we wanted to do those things. So that our unity can be deepened. And and after reading this, I see just how important it is if you and I are going to make an impact in this world, the impact first needs to happen here in our own hearts. Because when we're unified, he's glorified. And when we're unified, that speaks volumes into this world that does not have that unity right now, nor ever will, apart from Jesus Christ. The leaving, the arguments, the pettiness is a symptom of something much, much more deeper and much, much more serious. And the deeper that you you and I are connected in Him, the more you and I are going to be united with each other. Unity is an absolute mark of Christianity, therefore it needs to be our top priority. We are to live out what we already are, united in Him. As we look at this passage kind of makes it very practical as we look at the characteristics of this unity. So Jesus kind of begins with this prayer and then develops what that unity looks like and its results in the world. So three characteristics that we're going to be looking at today. Our unity first is a divine testimony. Uh, Verse 21, this speaks of the nature of our unity and the result of that unity and the testimony that it brings to this world. So listen to what he says, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. First, who is Jesus praying for when he starts this out? He's praying for us, isn't he? As a matter of fact, he, he now clarifies that. He says, I'm not just praying or asking these things on behalf of those that are present or his disciples, but everybody that is going to believe through their word. So think about that for a second. Jesus is praying for Galilee Church in 2023. And what's his prayer? that we may be one just as the Father and the Son are one. This is the nature of the unity and its result in the world. Our unity or our oneness is like that of God's oneness with the Son. It is very hard to imagine, almost incomprehensible, but it is an absolute reality. 
as the Father is connected to the Son and the Son connected to the Father, I am connected to you. I'm connected to you spiritually. It's a spiritual reality. So you and I are going to spend eternity with each other. Doesn't it? You should be happy, right? It should make us smile. And what we do here, we are practicing for, for there. We're practicing for eternity. But the nature of their relationship kind of tells us what our relationship should look like. So if there are things that we should strive for in our unity, we can get that idea from the Trinity. So it's, it's our, our, the nature of our relationship, the unity that we have is modeled by the Trinity and it's also enabled by the Trinity. So what's one of the first aspects of this? Well, one of the, the big things that I, I think that stands out here is when Jesus prays this, he's not praying for uniformity. He's not praying for sameness among all of us because that's not the nature of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is it? They are utterly one, they are completely unified, yet they are distinct in person. And they are distinct in role and purpose as well. You think about this verse in Revelation, and you think about everything that's going on in the world right now with racism. And the answer to racism is Jesus Christ. Racism is sinful. It's a result of the sinful condition of the heart. And notice in Revelation what he says. He distinguishes the people, but yet they are all unified around one person and one thing, the worship of Jesus Christ. Every nation, tribe, people, and language doing what? Standing before the throne. That is ultimate unity in diversity. And it's centered on the person of Jesus Christ. See, one of the problems I think that we, we tend to do in church life or in churches in general is we like to gather around people that are what? Just like us. We want to we get people that are like us in our groups, that think like us, maybe they dress like us, maybe they even look like us. Because that's how we're more comfortable, aren't we? We're more comfortable around people like us. And churches sometimes actually, they just try to go after one demographic, now, a church is going to grow in the culture and in the community naturally, right? But everyone shouldn't be like clones or like zombies of each other and saying yes to everything everyone does. That's not a reflection of the Trinity, is it? No, the Trinity is diverse. They're unified, but they are distinct personalities. And that's how we live out that, the nature to the world that is watching. So, the more diverse we are, but yet unified we are, it's a better testimony to this world, isn't it? So we need everybody, all different sorts, 
all committed to the same thing. There are certain characteristics that we see in the Trinity, in this relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that help us to see how we are to live that out. They're unified in character and in holiness and in purpose and in mission, and they are unified in love. One of the major aspects of the relationship between Christ and the Father is Christ is committed to the Father and committed to to the purposes of the Father, and the Father is committed to the Son. There is a common concern. Folks, there's going to be absolutely no unity among us without commitment. And without commitment to the priorities of Jesus Christ. And when tough times come, come around, like they did over these past couple years, those, that commitment is realized. And if you and I are committed to Christ, and if we're committed to the goals of Jesus Christ and to his kingdom, that is going to help unify us in difficult times. We are to work together. We are to pray together. We are to fellowship together. This is a major aspect of the unity of the Father and Son is that they were unified in purpose and in mission. His life was an expression of that unity and purpose to the point of death. And our purpose is the same. Our purpose is to proclaim the kingdom, not this one, to proclaim, proclaim Christ's life and not, our, not ours. And when bad things happen, that's going to keep us together. Jesus, as I said, is not asking for organizational unity or uniformity, though it is to be observable. We need to have different likes and dislikes, different expressions of, of how we live out the truth, and different personalities. We need introverts. We need extroverts. We need people who are in between. We need loud talkers. We need whispers. We need beef stew lovers and beef stew, beef stew haters. We need everyone. And, and the church is, is this massive melting pot of all of these diversities, but yet unified in Christ, unified in the same purpose, unified in character, in holiness, and unified for Him. There's a place for everybody, or at least there should be. It doesn't matter what background you're from. It doesn't matter your past, what you've done. We've just talked about that. We're all together in Jesus Christ. And that togetherness is a witness to the world regarding the nature of the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. It's evangelistic, but it is a testimony of His nature that Jesus Christ and the Father 
are united together. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the Father and the Son know each other? The answer would be yes. Let me try it again. Do you think the Father and the Son know each other? Yes. yes. How well do you think they know each other? Yeah, you think they know each other probably better than any relationship? Okay. So if that's the case, I want you to listen to this, what this guy says. He says, we're tempted to, to think of little sips of our, our connection as real conversation. But they're not. Email, Twitter, Facebook, all of these have their places, but no matter how valuable, they don't substitute for com- real conversation. Connecting in sips may work for gathering dis- discrete bits of information for saying, I'm thinking about you. But connecting in sips doesn't work well when it comes to truly understanding and knowing one another. When it comes to truly understanding and knowing one another. If, you, if we believe that we're going to come here on a Sunday and take in little sips of what? Conversation. And you're going to be unified and get to know each other. That is absolutely not going to happen, is it? One of, the, one of the privileges of being up here, but also a burden of being up here, is when I look out at this congregation, I, I know a lot of things about people that the rest of you don't know. And I know that there are people in this congregation that are in desperate need of someone else in their life right now. That they're in need of a friend that they're in need of someone to come alongside and support them, that they're in need of a mentor, that they're in need of someone to encourage them. And the only way that we're going to know each other, because we know they know each other, and we're to reflect that, the only way that we're going to know each other is if we take time to talk to one another. And I encourage you, get to know people that you don't know. Because if you want to be unified, that is one practical way that we are going to be able to do that. And when you know each other, you're going to grow in love for one another, which is another way in which they're unified, which we're going to hit on at the end of this passage. We could go on and on and on in this comparison between the two. It's a reality that exists in us because of the fact that we're in Jesus Christ, but it's a reality that needs to be lived out and worked out here at Galilee 2023, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all through, all through the week. Potlucks, prayer nights. Now you see the point behind some of it, right? You have homework, actually. Because I want you to think about this because this is, it's, there's just so much there. I want you to think about the nature of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to think about the relationship that you have with each other here in this church, the people sitting next to you today. And I want you to compare it and ask yourself how unified are you. The second aspect that we see here Oh, sorry. Conversation helps unification. 
our unity is grounded in Christ's glory, verse 22. Jesus says, The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. So three times, three times in this passage, he prays for what? Unity. He prays that they may be one. In the early hours of June 24th, 2021, part of a slab from a high-rise condo building in Surfside, Florida, dropped into the parking garage below. Within minutes, the east wing of the 13-story tower collapsed, killing multiple people in a disaster, a disaster without modern precedent. The, the building was designed in the late 1970s, the 136-unit Champlain, Champlain Towers South was completed in 1981 and marketed as a luxury marketed as luxury living. Officials are still investigating why the tower fell. But engineers point to some key decisions uh, made to construction. One of them was they put building structural slabs on thin columns without the support of very important beams in some places. They installed too few of the special heavy walls that help keep buildings from toppling. Engineers say that features like this could have limited the extent of the collapse. Folks, there is, there is one major beam that holds us together as a church. Do you know what it is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Apart from that cross... You and I are not united. And apart from that cross, if that cross is removed from the life of the church, it will all come crashing down. And maybe people won't see it, but in reality, that's exactly what is going to happen. And maybe you're asking yourself, what, what, why is Pastor Mark talking about the cross? Jesus is talking about his glory that he shared with us. Well, there were, there were many interpretations of this passage, and I wasn't, I was kind of stunned at, that there were. I wasn't sure why there were. You know, one of the, one of the big things that we, you need to do when, when you're looking at a passage like this, so Jesus mentions this word glory, and he says, the glory which I have given, which you have given me, I have given to them, one of the ways to figure it out is just go to the context of the passage. So right in the beginning, Jesus prays for what? Glory. That the Father may glorify Him. How is He glorified? He's glorified in that hour. What's the hour? The hour is the cross. Jesus shares that with us. He dies on our behalf, in order to create a people for God, unified in Him through the work of the cross. Apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, I cannot be unified with you. Apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, we're never going to have the fellowship that is made possible through what He did. Again and again and again and again, apart from Jesus Christ, we don't belong to God. No matter what 
pastors or preachers or popular speakers are saying these days, we're not all children of God unless we believe in His Son. And it's some of the sweetest fellowship that we are ever going to have is around the cross and around like beliefs, beliefs that are found in Scripture. It is absolutely essential. Without a him, we cannot have an us. And we don't have him if we don't believe in his glory or the work which he did on our behalf. And we have to make sure that we get the cross right. The cross is not an example for us to follow by no means whatsoever. I mean, in its essential aspect. Yes, he, it's an example of the way we live, but that is not why God sent Jesus so that he can show what love is like and so that we can love that out. That's, that's, that's blasphemy. The cross is Jesus Christ on our behalf, dying for our sins to make us one in God. We can't be ashamed of the message of the cross and churches are becoming more and more afraid to talk about the fact that Jesus took God's wrath on our behalf. That's exactly what he did. And it's in that that we're unified. That he died for our sins. That we're all sinners And what a day to celebrate this. You can't plan it any better. Of all the days to celebrate the Lord's Supper, here we see it's that event, it is that work that unifies us together. It levels the playing field with each one of us. None of us are better than each other, all of us need His grace. All of us need his mercy. All of us need the work of the cross. And it puts the focus right where it belongs. Right on him. Right after this, Jesus says, I am in them. If we're not in him, then we're not with each other. Notice that he says this is his glory. I love that word. I love that word for this. No matter what our church becomes, our glory is not in our church, is it? Our glory is not in our pastors, whoever it may be up here. Our glory is not in our programs. Our glory is not in how big our budget is, how hip we are. Our glory is not in our worship. Our glory is in the cross. Our glory is in the cross. And if we don't come into community with one another through the cross, it's not true unity. David Wilkerson in his book, They Have Done Away with the Cross, writes this, Be warned, it doesn't matter 
what anyone tells you about a great revival or moving of the Spirit taking place. It doesn't matter how many multitudes are involved or how loud their praises are. It doesn't matter how successful a particular ministry may appear to be if the cross of Jesus Christ is not the door through which people come through. You can rest assured it is not a work of God and we are not unified with one another. That last part I added. And I would also add to that, it is we don't leave the cross at the door, do we? We put it right here in the center. This is why we do this. To remind ourselves that we're all equal before the cross, that we're all sinners in need of the cross, but also to remind ourselves what keeps us together and to remind ourselves that which we are to exalt throughout the life of this church. This is to be a cross-centered church. One spirit, one body, one Lord, one table. And I think Jesus is, is pushing this even further because it, it, is the, it is what our unity is founded on, but also we are to live out the cross and we are to continue to glory in the cross in our life. Notice what Paul says in Philippians, make, it my, joy, make my joy complete by being like-minded with one another, having the same love, being united in spirit, and in purpose. Well, what is one way that he says to do that? Have the same mind that was in who? Jesus Christ. By not looking after your own interests, but looking after the interest of others. Living a life of the cross. If we want to be unified, that's one way we're going to have to do it. That's what it means to live a cross-centered life. To sacrifice for one another. To die for one another. To imitate that life of Jesus Christ. Emptying yourself. Serving others. Not looking after your own interests. Seeking that which is best for the person sitting next to you. A cross-centered, self-effacing Christ-exalting life and revealing the love that has been poured out into our hearts. Third characteristic, our unity displays God's charity or love. I just had to make it rhyme, so. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Writer and NPR commentator Heather King, who's a recovering alcoholic who came to faith in Jesus Christ, reflected on her initial experience with the church. Her first impulse was to think, my, I don't want to I don't want to get sober and worship with these nutcases or boring people or people with different politics or people with different taste in music, food, 
books or whatever. She says, nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people that we did not choose for ourselves. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with the extremely unpromising people, people who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, and out for themselves. People who are us. She said, we don't come to church to be with people who are like us. We come to church because we staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And church is the only place that we struggle to figure what that looks like. And as we, we come because we're hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of two scandals, that God loves us or that he loves everyone else. I like what this lady does there. She just levels the playing field, doesn't she? God's love for us in the mess that we are, in our unity with each other, is a testimony to this world. That this world sees how much God loves us as we are united in him. I want you to notice what Jesus is saying here. And R.C. Sproul, I think, hits on it really, really well. He says, incidentally, believers themselves need a deeper grasp of the love of God for them. In his tender mercies, God has an incredible capacity to love the unlovely. How do I know that, he says? Well, he knows every ugly part of my soul and my life, and yet he loves me. Do you believe that? In the same way the Father loves Jesus, he loves you. That's what Jesus says here. In the same way he loves you. People are looking at me like, that sounds heretical. Something sounds wrong with that. It doesn't seem right. Jesus says it. As a matter of fact, it is a settled fact. The, 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 the verb that is used here, the tense, is in... There's no process involved. It is a matter of fact that God loves you as he loves Christ because you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter what you're going to do in the future. You are not going to change God's love for you. And as the world sees that love, they can only say that it is supernatural. And they can only say what Jesus says here, that God sent Jesus on our behalf. And that God loves this group of people because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So many times I've had 
conversation after conversation with people. And, and, and I understand we go through periods of time and we kind of treat our relationship with God like we treat our relationship with each other. We think people are not going to like us the more they get to know us. I, I have that fear. The more people get to know me, they're going to think I'm a creep. They're going to think I'm a freak or whatever. And, 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 and that's a fear in life, isn't it? When we're vulnerable with other people, when we, we show ourselves to other people, we, we become afraid that they're going to reject us. And I think we, we, we portray that onto our relationship with God, and we think the more he knows, the less he's going to like. And that's not the case, is it? He loves you. It's a matter of fact. It's settled. It's settled. He loves you because you love his son, because you're in Christ, because of what Christ did for you. You cannot change that love for, that he has for you. And when you receive that love, and when you enjoy that love, and when you are confident in that Jesus wants that unity to be perfected. And I think what he is getting at here is as you and I understand and really grasp the love that Christ and God the Father has for us, the more we understand it, the more we're going to love like they love us. And as we love like they love us, we are going to be what? Perfected in that unity. One of the biggest realizations that I came out of from this passage is I don't love you like God loves me and I need to. You know, we often dislike people or have issues with people based on what we see. Right? Maybe you do something kind of bothers me. Maybe you have a personality trait, you know, I don't like, whatever it may be. And we, we tend to like push away from people because of that, or we tend to like people who, you know, don't bother us in those ways. I want you to imagine something. What if I put all your hidden sins up on this screen right now? So we base it off of what we see, right? What if, do you think, because who knows all of those hidden things? Yeah, God does, doesn't he? Can you imagine if he just disliked us from what he saw? I mean, there's, there's that whole period of time that we're doing things that are just not good. So the next time we get upset with someone, I want you to think about that. Because if we understand his love for us, then I should be able to love you in that fashion. And I know, I know that I don't all the time. And it really struck me this week. And it's that type of love that's poured into our hearts that we receive, that we don't deserve. Do, do we deserve that type of love? That I do anything special to earn God's love? So why do I make other people do it in the church especially? Why? This is a radical love. This is a deep unity. It's not some superficial unity based on some commonalities that we can generate or make up. It's a unity based in love, the love that God has for us. And I pour that love out to you, no matter what you do. That's going to be a testimony to this world. And they're going to say, without a doubt, God loves these people. 
It's a tangible love, a love that shows compassion, mercy, favor, grace, and understanding. It's a love that accepts people in their personalities, their likes and their dislikes, because it's how God loves us, isn't it? And often, we don't feel like God loves us. I think I've said that before. We don't feel it. We don't always see it so tangibly. What is he pointing us back to here? He's pointing us back to this. If you ever doubt God's love for you, look at what he did. He did not spare his only son. Gave him on our behalf. And the world sees that and recognizes that Jesus and the Father are together, are one, and that God loves us just as he's loved Jesus Christ. It was a men's retreat. There was a group of about 30 to 40 men of all ages. They sat in a room sharing joys, deep aches. And a young man named Jason sat in his chair, face buried in his hand, occasionally rising up to gasp a breath as he sobbed. Why didn't he want me? I don't understand. Why didn't my dad want me? What's wrong with me? None of the other men in the room knew how to answer his question, but everyone knew what the problem was. Jason said, am I such a defect? Am I so unlovable as a son and as a man? What happened next was absolutely beautiful and unscripted. Phil, an older man in the group, got up out of his seat, walked straight over to Jason, embraced him in a loud voice, and he said, I'll be your dad. You'll be my son. From that day forward, Phil was involved in Jason's life as a surrogate father. Their relationship with one another deepened as the years passed. Although Phil didn't pay for Jason's college tuition, his room or board, he was present to pray with Jason, take him to lunch, listen to his struggles, share his life and wisdom with him. During one of their last, last conversations that this guy had with Phil, before he died, we talked about his relationship with Jason. At one point, he lifted up his head with a passionate conviction, said, you know, Jason is my son. He said, I nodded, and I said, I know. Tell you what, God looks at us. He says, you know, so-and-so is my son. So-and-so is my daughter. And the world sees that love as we love like this guy did, and the world says, I know, I know. That's a supernatural love, a love that God pours into our hearts and a love that unifies us like a family.
brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, all in Christ. Galilee Church, if we don't want to fight over coffee, we don't want to fight over the length of the pastor's beard or whatever it may be, we need to live out that unity and we need to have a love like that. Jesus prays that our unity is a perfected priority. And I hope it is and always will be in the life of this church. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for such a convicting passage. Lord, we know that we are unified in you, but we know how difficult that can be when we come to disagreements, when we have problems in the church. Lord, we pray that our love for you and our love for each other would always supersede those things. And Lord, we pray that as we want to be a witness to this world, revealing what you have done for us in Christ and revealing who you are and your nature, Lord, I really pray that we can be unified. And I pray that the world may see that. I pray that the Gorham community can see that. Even see that as at this opportunity that we have at this block party. That yeah, people would have fun. People would see the things that we want to do for this community. But most of all, that they see that we love each other and that we're loved by you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.